It's my goal this morning to really just to encourage and edify the body. And so hopefully you came um, just expecting to be ministered unto as God, the Holy Spirit. He works in our hearts. He has that internal compass. He has that internal guidance, that voice, that leading, that yearning, that prompting, that inspiration. And, um, you know, enthusiasm is in theos. It just means to be in God. That's what the Greek word means. And so we're in church, but we're in God. And because of who we're in and who's in us, that gives us enthusiasm. And so uh, take, take with me, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to talk about this thought about being eternally safe and secure. You know, in times of uncertainty and where the, the future uh, might not be as clear, um, we could know this. We could know that with God, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Uh, even if you think about the snakes in the, the wilderness wanderings, uh, he removed the venom, but the snakes still remained. You know what I mean? So God will take us through anything, and you could go through anything if you know that you're going through it with God. And so today, I just want to remind the church that you're eternally safe and secure. Now, you might already know this, but if you're like me, maybe you don't believe it all the time. Maybe circumstances come, and it kind of changes your opinion. Maybe you base a lot of your theology based on how you feel. You know, we, we all could do that sometimes. And so today I'd like to encourage the church um, just with these verses. So if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. The King James uses the word begotten again which is synonymous with being born again, begotten, born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, this whole thing, and Easter's coming up, I think it's April 4th, it's a Sunday, um, it's coming up pretty soon. But our whole being born againness wouldn't even matter if Jesus never rose from the dead. And so he rose again, and so now because of what he has done for us, he has offered us now an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. And, and mark that phrase down, reserved in heaven for you, because you have a spot with a person in a place called heaven, but with the person of the place, the, the, the somewhere is about a someone, as Sean was praying this morning, and that reservation, there's a no cancellation policy, right? It's, it's non-refundable, but you didn't even pay for it in the first place. You, you were gifted this reservation in heaven. It's the best vacation ever. It's the best place to go ever. It's the best person to spend eternity with forever, and it's reserved 
in heaven with your name on it. Now you and I are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're not going to focus on that ready to be revealed in the last time today, because that's what we do on Sunday night. But I just want you to know, you are kept by the power and the performance of Christ, not by your power or your performance. So he keeps you. In other words, he started it. And he, which began a good work, will be faithful to complete it. You know, God initiated this whole thing, salvation. It's not like a, it's not like a Christian philosophy or an idea that we came up with. He started it. He initiated it. And he wants you to experience it and to participate in his life now, but forever with his eternal life in heaven. And so we're going to be talking about those things today. Hopefully you'll leave here encouraged. And if you already have this thing locked down and you're like, been there, done that, you know that, duh, then hopefully my thought is that we'll leave here and we'll think, you know what? There's more people, there's a lot of room in the wedding feast at the table. More people can come, right? Let's, if you're okay with this, look, if you don't, if you don't know that you're eternally safe and secure, you'll be internally self-conscious and you'll be looking inward and not outward because you'll always be worried about your status with God. You're standing with God. So it almost makes you ineffective, which means that if the devil has you kind of focused on, on, well, am I okay with God? Am I justified? Am I sanctified? Am I safe? Am I secure? Am I righteous? Am I, if, am I in the family? Is he going to kick me out? Is my name in the book of life? Is he going to erase it? I mean, does he use holy white out in heaven? I know everything's white. Maybe my name's going to be whited out. I don't know. And so if you're going around thinking in those terms, do you think that you're going to invite someone else? To, hey, come to Jesus. He'll forgive you all of your sins, and he'll promise you the free gift of eternal life, and you'll go to heaven and be with him forever. You're not going to tell that to other people if you don't believe it about yourself. So the idea, and the stewardess gets on, if you guys fly anywhere. I was just told my mask was on backwards today. I'm, I don't know. It doesn't come with instructions. I just put it on. I'm seeing some blues out there. Okay. So you're, you're flying the friendly skies, and the stewardess comes on and says, okay, in case of a whatever water damage or an accident or cabin pressure loss, I think is what they say, your oxygen mask will fall down. Before you start helping other people, put the oxygen mask on yourself and then start assisting other people. So that's kind of the idea with this message today. Get this down, get the oxygen mask down, and then, right, let's start helping other people to know what you and I know by grace through faith. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just guide the church today and uh, lead us through your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again. So we're saved by God's mercy. Just as we couldn't birth ourselves physically, we could not birth ourselves spiritually. 
It was God who gave us the seed and the ability to be changed and to be birthed into his family. So we've been made spiritually new. I love Titus. Titus chapter um, 3 says this, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. This is kind of a, this is kind of a, a cousin thought or cousin passage to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This is a really good one. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration that's making us alive, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's imparting his life into us, which he shed abundantly um, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs, inheritors, receivers of his riches according to the hope of eternal life. So we have been birthed by the Holy Spirit. Um, I, don't, I don't think I put them on the screen. I'm just going to ask if you'd turn there, and we'll just go through this really fast. These are familiar because we were there in John. But John chapter 1, in verse 12, and I, I think I'll tack on verse 13 as well. But as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them which believe on his name. Verse 13. Yeah, it's not included up there. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of of the flesh, not by our self-determination or willpower, nor by the will of man, but of God. And so John includes that thought, and he keys in where some of the other gospel writers don't. In chapter 3, we were there few months ago, but he has this discussion with Nicodemus, and he says in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto you, truly, truly, I send you, except a person is born again, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. So the entrance, if there's a gate and there's someone checking like credentials, the credentials would be, are you born of the flesh? You can't enter. Are you born of the spirit? Entrance granted. And how you get how you get to be born of the Spirit is by believing in his name, by putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He says, marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. I like verse 8 in John 3. I don't think it's on the screen. The wind blows where it, uh, it determines, and you don't even hear the sound of it, but, and you cannot tell where it came from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. This transaction, this internal, eternal transaction could take place right where you're sitting. If you're sitting here today and you said, you know what, I don't know what being born, you don't even know what happened to you when you were born physically. How would you know what is going on with you spiritually? But I will say this, I couldn't tell if the if the AC turned on or the heater and it, there was gusts of wind, you couldn't see it. You could just feel it. You, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't grab a hold of it. And I do know this. If you're sitting here today and you don't know that your spot is reserved, guaranteed, in heaven, right where you're sitting, you could say, Jesus, will you come into my heart and give me the free gift of eternal life? I wouldn't see it. I could see the outward manifestation of it. Right? I could know you by, by your, your fruit. Um, 
but I don't, you know, that's how the Spirit operates, and I believe that could happen to you. So, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter, where we were originally, but we're going to drop down to verse 18. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, for as much that you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your empty lifestyle received by the tradition of your forefathers. In other words, he's saying you weren't, you're not saved by rules, rituals, traditions, or corruptible things, or man-made things. It's, it's not, nothing systematized or created, uh, you know, religiously speaking. He says, but here's how you were redeemed. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how you were redeemed. That's how I was redeemed. And he says, who was ordained and foreordained before the foundation of the world. In other words, it wasn't plan B, right? <laughs> God, knew, God knew he was going to have to come and be the lamb to take away our sins. And then he says, I'm going to drop down to verse uh, 23. He says, but you were born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, I'm going to slow down a little bit on that thought. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So what, according to this passage, what is the incorruptible seed? The word of God, right? He says, not of incorruptible, but by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And I've told you this before, and this is kind of where I was going with this, because I think I've said it before, it stuck with me. The word seed in the Greek is uh, sperma, which where you know we get your English word from, and that's connected to the male anatomy, which you have the male part of the, the seed and the female part of the egg, and then the two come together in marriage, and and then the seed meets the egg, and then life is um, formed from that. Well, in this case, because Jesus says that which was flesh is flesh. You know, I understand you're born of your mother in a physical way, but he says that which is spirit is spirit. And he says this incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus says the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God said, let there be light. He spoke it, and you can't, take, you can't capture light, put it in a beaker, and take it to a lab, and then open it and say, look. And so we know that God could, could make things by his word that are intangible almost. And so it is when it comes to being born again. When you hear the incorruptible seed, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and internally you receive it and believe it, that sperma, that seed takes root and it gives birth inside of you in an unseen way that comes out in a seen way later on. Does that make sense without being crass or gross or complicated? Or I want you to hold that thought. So, this is what God used to cause things to come to life. It's like how a tree bears other trees. It's like how God promised to bless the whole world through the seed of Abraham. 
It's like how God promised that a virgin would crush the serpent through the seed or the virgin birth of the woman that, uh, you know, Mary uh, bringing forth Jesus. It's how Holy God breathed, the Holy God breathed word that brings forth life from nothing and makes it begotten into something. And so the word is the incorruptible seed. And we have the living word living inside of us. So the spiritual life-giving seed abides in us and caused a caused and birth an internal, eternal life inside of us. Now, keep that in mind, because I want to get real practical with you in 1 John. Turn to 1 John. This is a very difficult passage. I almost wanted to avoid it just because there's a lot of confusion around it. And I want to I want to help you go through it, and that's why I was talking much about this incorruptible seed that caused you to be born again, that you have received, the one that gave you birth, that living word that's incorruptible, that's unseen, that made things seen by speaking it, God, right? The word that became flesh that that we read in the written word, that's the living word, and that, that word that we heard Um, gave us life, and it was an exchange. The spiritual, the wind that we can't see, uh, the pneumos, which is the Greek word for spirit. It's also a word for pneumatic tools, air tools. We received it, and then it it caused something internally to happen within us. So keep that seed thought with you. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Who's singing that song as you're reading it? <laughs> Behold a manner of love the Father. Okay, anyways. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, look at the tense. Now we are the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, revelation, rapture, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's that moment, the twinkle of an eye will all be changed, right? And everyone that has this hope in them purifies themselves, even as he is pure. You know what the eminent return or the rapture that could happen at any moment does to the Christian? This is it. If you have this hope, you live like you're an expectant return uh, of Jesus at any moment. But now he's going to talk about like some behaviors. Whosoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Right? We all know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know that he was manifested, Jesus, to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Two key things there. First of all, he was manifested to do what? Take away our sins. And how is he qualified to do so? Because in him there is no sin, right? He's the spotless lamb that we're talking about, the sinless savior. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Now this is a difficult thing to, I mean, really? I abide in Jesus, but, you know, if I say that I haven't sinned, I don't know if I'm telling the truth. And whosoever sins has not seen him, neither knows him. Little children, now he's writing, to, he's writing to believers. Let no man deceive you, for he that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now, let me ask you this. Can a righteous person do an unrighteous thing? Right, but that, does that make you 
unrighteous. If an unrighteous person does something righteous, does that make them righteous? No, because what would that be called? Self-righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. You could read that very clearly in much of the... 2 Corinthians 5.21 comes to mind immediately. For he who knew no sin was made for sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Romans 5.17, you were given the gift of righteousness. Condemnation and death came through Adam, but righteousness came through Jesus Christ. Read Romans uh, chapter 5. So this is a little bit, this is a difficult pill to swallow here. And he says, he that commits sin is of the devil. What? Remember, Jesus said that to uh, the self-righteous Pharisees in John 8 when we get there. In verse 44 specifically, he says, you are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, right? And the lust of your father you will do. Jesus told, he's telling them that to these people that were squeaky clean, I mean, they had all the, the outside of the sepulcher was whited, but inwardly full of dead man's bones, and Jesus cut right to the quick. So what does this mean then? If you and I commit one sin, then you're of the devil? For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I think the answer to this difficult passage is found in verse 9. And sometimes people like to excuse these very difficult verses by calling it like habitual repetitive sin. Um, But I think what he's talking about here is cleared up in verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Well, we've just been talking about being born again. How are you born again? By that incorruptible seed that, in verse 5, he was come to manifest or to take away our sins and in him is no sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now here's the key. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. You know the part of you, you know the temple. It had the outer courts. It had the, the holy place. And then it had where God's glory was. The holy of holies. You know you've got a body, you have a soul, right? Your emotions. But you know where God lives in you? Is the holy of holies. You are the temple of God. So your spiritual part, that invisible part, you could, you could see my body, but you can't see my spirit. And that's where the devil can't come in and take, take over the strong man. You could never be possessed by the devil. He can't take your salvation because he'd have to take the ones who, who is eternal life and be stronger or greater than him. So in your spirit, in the holy of holies, God's righteous, and he made that part of you, he cleaned it, he killed it, cleaned it, and then made it righteous, made it fit for his presence. And you and I don't act holy, but you are holy because of the presence of God in your heart, in your spirit, right? Right? We don't act righteous, but you are righteous. Look, if you were only 99% righteous and if you died, would you be able to go to heaven? No, because that 1% would corrupt the perfect heaven. 
You have to be made absolutely holy and righteous and fit for heaven. And that's something you couldn't do to yourself. That's something God had to do to you. And that's, the, well, that's where that incorruptible seed came in, birthed you, gave you that, that eternal life, and that's where God resides. And you're protected right at the core. Now, your emotions right now and your soul, your intellect, your feeler, your chooser, you're going all over the place. You're like recomputing, recomputing. But your spirit right now is saying that's true. I know that. I know your spirit saying, yeah, that's true. I don't always act the way I should and behave the way I know that. I know I sin all the time. Man, if it was based on my like ability not to sin, I'd never go to heaven. None of us would. But let me ask you, who was tempted in all points yet without sin? Who's the only one that's ever scored 100%, 100% of the time? <laughs> who? Christ. So he was tempted in all points yet without sin. So he said he came to take away our sins and in him is no sin. And so this seed that remains in us is this incorruptible living word that when he stands toe-to-toe with sin, temptation, and everything, he gets victory 100% of the time. The problem is, is we have the victorious, sinless Savior, the incorruptible seed living in us, and a lot of times we, we say, I'll ta- I got this one, Jesus, you know, I've got, I got a couple steps, I got a couple programs, I got a couple ways that I think I'm going to overcome this temptation. And when we try to do it on our own, we might have some victories, but mostly defeats. If you're thinking about an MMA record, it wouldn't look very good. But Jesus is the undefeated, undisputed champion, victorious 100% of the time. So here's how... We will never be sinless. But we could sin a lot less when we have the sinless Savior stand toe-to-toe with our sins and temptations. How does that look? Jesus. Oh, I'll give you an example. Um, So I was doing some work. Uh, I was down at Huntington Beach. I was on my laptop. Um, this guy got up, he went to his truck, and I saw on the ground a wad of $50 bills. Now, I could use a wad of $50 bills, right? But I grabbed it, and I, and I said to him, I said, hey, man, um, I don't know if this is yours. And I probably even worded it wrong, because I guess it could have been more clever and been like, how much money am I holding in my hands? <laughs> But I said, did you drop something? And he's like, was it a wad of 50s? I'm like, yeah, a stack of it, dude. Are you a drug dealer? <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, thanks. I feel like I'm losing my mind. And I'm like, ah, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I should have said, do I get a finder's fee? Because, I mean, literally, <laughs> there were stacks of them. Um, but, you know, I think this is probably not a good example. Um, but you, you could see the flesh and a spirit situation there, right? You could see uh, like a human will versus a God's will. What's the righteous thing? What's the unrighteous thing? What's the holy thing? What's the unholy thing? I knew it was his money. Um, So I'm just saying like when we learn to live for, and look, this is just one small victory. 
another time in another situation with other variables and I choose not to appropriate the sinless life of Christ, but the life of, you know, Neil, that's when I start to experience more defeat uh, and less victory. But when I learn to exchange, not I, but Christ living through me, Jesus, live this life through me. Live your holy, sacrificial, loving, others-focused life through me. When you appropriate that that incorruptible seed, that sinless Savior that lives in you, what does a sinless Savior living in you and through you look like? He looks others. He looks giving. He doesn't look like a thief. He doesn't look like some a liar. He doesn't look unrighteous. He doesn't look unholy. And so I'm just trying to encourage the church to live out of the sinless life that you have within you. You will never be sinless, but you will sin a lot less when you live from Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, because you have that seed. He's in the holy of holies within you. So, we have been saved, and then our text said, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus. Unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus. The word hope, I've mentioned this before, but maybe you weren't here. Um, and sometimes I mention something once and I think everyone gets it for the rest of their life. And I'm like, that's so not even true with me. <laughs> Why would I think that's true for everyone else? So the word hope does not mean wishful thinking. Maybe you remember me saying that before. And, and maybe you've read that before or maybe you've, you've studied that out and you're like, why does the Bible use the word hope? That doesn't sound very definite, Right? unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the word hope doesn't mean wishful thinking or, oh, I, I hope I win the lottery, but my chances are pretty slim to none. Right? That's how we kind of use the word hope. But the Bible word for the word hope means a confident, steadfast assurance of an expected outcome. A confident, steadfast assurance of an expected outcome. For example... The Bible says that the second coming of Christ is the blessed hope. So Titus, we'll go back to Titus again on the screen. Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, here's something interesting. Side note. Grace, is that something you could touch? Grace seems kind of like a concept, right? Grace. But the grace of God appeared to all men. I submit to you grace is a person. Anyway, side thought. Jesus showed up. He appeared to all men. And he was teaching us, grace was teaching us that to, not, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See, grace in Jesus doesn't teach us to live uh, sinfully and unholy and unrighteous contrary to our nature in Christ, contrary to the incorruptible seed that gave us this new identity and new birth. So that's what grace teaches us. Um, he teaches us to, uh, to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's the great God and Savior, Jesus, but looking for the blessed hope who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. There's that all, 
all your sins have been forgiven concept, and to purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The word zealous it also means heat. Um, it, it has this idea of like you're, you're, you're generating a lot of passion and heat for good works and not for good works sake, obviously for the glory of God so that he would, and we're working because we have received forgiveness and a reservation in heaven. We're not working to get that reservation in heaven, right? We, we all got that. Um, but the, the thought I wanted to bring up is like, this whole idea of hope is not wishful thinking. Do you, do you have wishful thinking that Jesus came the first time? Or do you, when you say, I hope Jesus came the first time, it sounds weird because we're like, man, I hope maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But according to the Bible definition, you have a steadfast, assured, confident uh, assurance that, that that did in fact happen. And the same way we would say that definitely happened the first time is the same way we'd say, well, that's definitely going to happen the second time. So when we say Jesus looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, when we say we're looking for that blessed hope, it's not wishful thinking. It's like, I can't wait for this. This is my steadfast preoccupation. This is my hope. This is, this is, this is my... That's God's next thing on his prophetic calendar, that event right there. Of course that should be an expected uh, and anticipatory thing. And we're, we're confident that Jesus came the first time, and so we're confident that Jesus will come back the second time. Well, what about heaven? Do you hope you're going to heaven? Right? <laughs> maybe I will, maybe I won't. I hope I do, maybe not, you know? <laughs> Or like cast straws or roll the dice. I hope so. And a lot of people have that, is laissez-faire a word? That, that attitude, well, maybe. Uh, and then when I get there, God's going to take out the scales. And then if my good outweighs my bad, then I hope I have more good than bad because then that means I'm getting in, right? Most of the world's view on heaven, if they have an idea of heaven, is based on that like scale if your goodies outweigh your baddies, then you're in. But that, that hope puts the hope on your ability to put more goodies on the scale and to get rid of and manage the baddies. Are you really going to put your hope and your, your ability to get you into heaven? I don't know if that, that would be a misplaced hope. That, I would not have confident, steadfast assurance of an expected outcome if my hope is in me. <laughs> that is not good news. That's bad news. That is really bad news. And so, and, it, and it's funny too because um, there's no tweeners in heaven, right? And I hope you know what I mean. You're either a saint or you ain't type of thing. You're a sheep or a goat, a wheat or a tear, a light or darkness. And God doesn't have that gray, you know, well, maybe... It's a, a shoat, like a sheep goat. Maybe it's a hybrid. There's, there's just none of that 50-50 stuff. Or it's either 100% or nothing. You either are or you aren't. And that's what I'm trying to give you, the steadfast assurance of your salvation that you have been born again of incorruptible seed. 
You have his life in you. He, he dwells in the holy of holies of your heart. You are the temple of God. Whether you act that way or not, he, God's, he'll, he'll align your behavior to, a match, to match your birth. He's working on you on that, right? Your soul still needs to be uh, renewed. Your mind needs to be renewed. And your, your spirit needs to tell your soul what's up and your soul tells your body where to go and what to do. We're all, we're all playing catch up to who we are at our core, which is we're new creatures born again in Christ. But there's no in-betweeners. There's no nice try people in heaven like, oh, good try. Or take another lap. Maybe you'll get it next time, like some religions teach. There's only the saved or the lost. So there's only the born twice or the born once. The redeemed or the unredeemed, unregenerated, unrighteous, ungodly, unholy, lifeless, dead sinner without God and his eternal life. Harsh, right? But which one are you? You know what's not harsh? It's just saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I, I don't. I wouldn't even know where to begin to try to earn my way or to work my way into heaven. Will you just give me this free gift of eternal life? Boom. You know what's not harsh is that. That doesn't sound harsh at all. Just saying yes to an offer, a free gift that someone bought and purchased on your behalf out of love. So let's move along. First uh, Peter 1.4. So he says, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you and I. So this inheritance is incorruptible. Um, it doesn't go away. So coming to church, I equate this. I don't know if you have that slide where there, it looks like a last will and testament. Um, and I don't even know if this is the right place for that. Um, but coming to church is much like going to an estate lawyer's office. At least when I'm preaching, at least. <laughs> You're like, that's the, that's the last place on earth I really want to go. <laughs> Why would you equate that to church? Well, if you had a rich uncle that died and you had to go and receive an inheritance and you had to go to the lawyer's office and you re- he had to present to you the, you know, the last will and testament of your rich uncle, uh, you would probably be very excited to go, right? Um, I was just telling, uh, yeah, you guys, when I inherited a Harley Davidson for free, um, it was in Reno, Nevada, and I had to hop in my 1969 truck to go get it. But and it was I was driving from Salt Lake to Reno, and I think it was like an eight-hour drive or something like that. It cost me so much money in gas with that 1969 truck. <laughs> I mean, I didn't care though. I'm like, sure, whoa, gas station. <laughs> the thing got like eight miles to the gallon. Um, but there and back. But, you know, free Harley, man. So, and that was bought and paid for by someone else, right? Someone else did the work. And so coming to church is like hearing the good news about the terms of your inheritance. I'm not telling you what to do to get it. I'm telling you what Jesus has done, and now you got it. That's the good news. That's why I'm like, I'm a proud lawyer. I have good news to tell you, right? Jesus did all this work, and if you just, if you accept it, here's all that you get. And right now I'm telling you, those of you that have received it, here's all that you have, right? Don't think it's something that you could achieve. It's something that you've already received. And so 
That's what I do. I stand up every Sunday and tell God's children about all that they got when they received Christ, when, they placed their, when you were placed and adopted into the family of God. So I'm telling you what's been done, not what to do, and that's what the good news is. The gospel starts with the word done. It's already done. So yeah, the New Testament, when we read it, it's, reading, it's, reading, it's like reading the last will and testament. It's like reading our inheritance. In it, we find out all the blessings that we've inherited simply by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are joint heirs of Christ, which means all that he has is all that we have too. Turn your attention to Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba Father, and you've probably heard that explained many times, but I have pastor friends that don't, they don't call God, God. They don't, they're they're not weird about it, but when it comes to this term of endearment, they say dad, and it's kind of, I don't, maybe it's where I'm at in my relationship with God, and maybe because it's my own father's background, and you know, maybe I've got daddy issues, but I don't call dad, dad, because it almost seems irreverent to me at this stage in life. But I have friends that are real intimate with God, and they say, oh, dad said this. Oh, I just asked dad the other day, and I'm like, that's so weird to me. But I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I'm not there yet. You understand the difference? Because it's very right. And, and I, these guys are saved, and I even want my one, I have one friend that calls him daddy, and I'm like, Really? But it's not wrong. It's just a term. He feels so spiritually alive and connected to his relationship. God to him is not, you know, like disappointed father, disappointed, you know, performance dad. Or he, he's not like that. He's like, I got a dad that loves me. I got a dad that really, you know, wants me to be in his presence. And so I got friends that call him daddy, you know. You know, you know one of them. Uh, remember Mike? Yeah. Anyways, so the spirit here's where here's where you're gonna get some encouragement. The Holy Spirit itself Himself bears witness with our internal spirit that we are the children of God. That's how you know. I can't tell you this. You have to bear witness to it. That's why it's your journey. I can't tell you. Oh, you're safe and secure. I don't know. I know that makes you more insecure. Um, But you will know, and God will take you through that journey of knowing. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. How How much stuff does the Bible say that Jesus has? You know, cryptocurrency, whatever that is, is going off the charts huge, right? It's just like spiking. It's going. Um, Norm, actually, before he uh, had to go to hospital and therapy and is sequestered right now and he can't visit him, but he was saying, Neil, I want to tell you about investing in a Bitcoin. He was telling me all that and he's like, I've been doing really good with it lately. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, I want to teach you how to do it because, you know, you, you know, you need to take care of your family and all this. And that was back when it was 20,000. You know what it is today, and I still haven't done it. Um, It's like 50-something thousand, and man, it's like you kick yourself. But I don't know about investing. Um, But I would say this. 
Everything that Jesus has, the seen and the unseen, is what we get just by being associated with him in the family. Our inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, uh, and it can't, it won't be, it won't fade away. It's a guaranteed sure thing. It's an, it's an absolute that we have in Christ. Everything else is temporary at best in this world, but our life in God and with God is eternal, everlasting, unfading, timeless, undefiled, and incorruptible. Amen. So everything will fade. Everything will fade. When I talk to Jen's dad, who's a pastor, he's like, it's all going to burn. It's like the only thing he says all the time. Like, love God with your whole, whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's all going to burn. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thanks for the pep talk. Um, but it's true. It's true. Look at, look at Isaiah up here. Um, for the grass withers, the flower fades, uh, but the, because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it, and surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God shall stand forever. That's that seed endures forever. The seed reproduces other seed and other seed and other and more grass and more seed. One born again Christian telling another non born again Christian get the word, the, the seed. They believe it, receive it. Now they have life. Now they could go, you know, like one kind after the other kind. It's, it's reproduction, it's how it works. But we're so temporary, but the thing that lasts is the word, the seed, that where we started. Matthew 6 puts it this way. Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and the rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where the thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So another part of the verse is the word reserved, where we start. So you have your spot reserved in heaven. Reserved. So that's for those of us that are believers. We have this place reserved. So like I mentioned in the beginning, our reservations in heaven are non-refundable. Our reservations were bought and purchased by the blood of Christ. And there's a no cancellation policy invoked by God. So we could stop doubting our destiny easier said than done if you feel like, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but your spot, according to God, is reserved. I, this verse doesn't need to be, well, I'll just say it, you'll, you'll know it. John 14, Christian, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. My Father's house are many mansions. It's an abode. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. But don't let your heart be troubled about it. Don't, don't think that you missed, there's fine print of this reservation. You've got reservations. Not like you have reservations about it. <laughs> I mean, you have the reservation in heaven. It's there for you. It's reserved on your behalf. You know, you're not going to be like that guy that shows up and they're like, well, how did you get here? And where's your garment? You're, you're, not, you're not dressed with the, you're not sneaking in the back door. Me and my friend used to do that in Bible college. We had, we had like wedding crash because we were so bored. We couldn't do anything in Bible college. And uh, so we would, we would go to convention centers and, you know, try to mingle with people. And 
act like we were a part. We went to this one Indian, um, it was a Native American where this, uh, this uh, chief of a tribe was getting acknowledged by the mayor and we're like, this one looks cool. And so went up, shook the hand of the mayor and the, and the chief and we we're just like Bible college students and we sat down and talking to people. And, but if they would have asked us, where's your name tag? How did you get in here? <laughs> we wouldn't have had an answer at all, you know. We're just poor college students. We don't know. We're bored. We can't do anything. We're not allowed to do anything. Can't go to the movies, you know. We can't do anything. So we tried to make, make do. But you're not going to be caught off guard because you have a reservation and you've been clothed with the righteous robe of Christ. Next passage in John 10, 27 Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. It's not temporary life. It's not life until you mess up. It's not life until you sin. You were found as a sinner. That's how God found you. So I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all and no one's able to pluck him out of my father's hand, I and my father are one. It's like this, it's like how many, how many safety locks and nets are in this equation? You can't penetrate Jesus' hands and then God has Jesus' hands surrounded. You can't penetrate, God. he's greater than all, but who's even greater than Jesus? There's like no way to get to you if you understand this scenario. You can't be plucked, you can't be snatched, you can't be taken from the grip of God. He's greater than Gorilla Glue, okay? Let's go to the, the I think there's a slide that kind of illustrates that. You'll notice, I don't know if you can, maybe the, the graphic's not that good, but the hand above is, is pierced, right? Indicating the hand of Jesus, and then, but it's not you hanging on for dear life, it's him hanging on to you, and this might be inaccurate to just illustrate it this way, but a lot of times we think it's our ability and by, and by our power and by our grip strength. And really, like, religion is man trying to reach up to God, where relationship is God reaching down to us, and we are kept by the power of God, not by our own strength and our own power. In fact, that's our last passage that we'll look at where we all started in First Peter, verse 5. It says, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation to be revealed in the last time. So we're kept by the power of God. We're saved by the power of another and we're kept saved by the power of another. If we couldn't save ourselves, what makes us think arrogantly or confidently or even hopefully that it's up to us to keep ourselves saved? You ever thought about that? If you could never save yourself initially, what makes you think you could save yourself daily? Save yourself daily. You can't do it. You didn't even initiate it. It wasn't even your idea to begin with. You weren't even looking for God, in fact. He was looking for you. You didn't even know you wanted God until he let you know, right? We've all gone our own way. We've all sinned. Everyone's turned his own way. Every man said in his heart, there is no God. We've all done that. All of us. So it's not like you discovered something really ingenious. It's called Christianity, and you're just going to hang on to the, the bitter end because you found a good thing. God found you, and you said yes with your free will, he, and he saved you, but he started it. And he, it's, not, 
It's not the perseverance of the saints for God, as Calvinism would teach. It's the perseverance of God towards the saints. It's his perseverance. It's not yours. So we're not hanging on to God's hand by our power and energy and good works and self-effort. God, by his power, is holding on to us with his everlasting arms. We often sing that hymn, right? And we're not hanging on to God with ours. So God has never had any unfinished projects or broken promises. We'll just wrap it up with a couple thoughts here. On Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised. 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 1 John 2, 25, this is the promise that he's promised us, even eternal life. It's not on the screen, but it just triggered this, that thought because of the word promise. This one's kind of obscure, but it applies. Psalm 37, the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly uh, be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's a good thought, right? And I think, too, like, are we, are we going to trip and stumble and fall in our walk with Christ sometimes? But, you know, you, get a, you fall down seven times, you know? or more, dust yourself off, and it's the direction. And we'll start to experience more victory and less defeat when we keep our eyes on Jesus, um, which will be a verse that we'll look at here in a second. But before we do, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, he that began a good work in you will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And here's, the, here's a great thought. God, Jesus is the... Looking unto Jesus is the beginning part. The author and the finisher of our faith. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But we're his unique story. You know, Psalm 90 says that we spend our life as a tale that's told. It's interesting, right? And I'm thinking about the dash on the tomb. Life is a dash, and that has double meaning. Life is a dash, meaning it's done. It's like a dash. It's finished. It's so quick. It's, it was a dash. Or it's like the date you were born and the date you die. Everything in your life is that dash on the tomb. Life is a dash, right? And so um, we appear a little while and then, and then vanish away. But in the meantime, God, he's the, the author and the finisher He's the beginning. He'll, he was at the beginning. He'll be with us at the end, and he'll be with us throughout all of eternity. Like my wife has famously said, God's got it, yo. God has got it, yo. So last two verses, and then we're, we're done. Philippians 2.13, For it's God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's in you. Well, what's he doing there, that? <laughs> what's God doing that he's conforming us to the image of Christ you know he's gently leading us he's reminding us that's not your nature it's not your identity you know he's just he, he's he's cohabitating with you and partnering with you in love right he's doing life with you that's what he's doing Fear not, little flock, for it's 
your father's dad's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to, God wants people saved more than people want to be saved. God wants to give the free gift of eternal life more than people want it. Think about the great lengths to what he went to to provide it, right? So in conclusion, let's wrap this up. Have you been born again by placing your faith alone in Christ alone? Do you doubt your inheritance? Maybe, you've, maybe you find yourself doing that. And that's why coming to church is so important. You, you're hearing the terms of the last will and testament. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. They're removed. They're forgotten. They're blotted out. Here's the good news. God, he loves you. He likes you. That's why he wants to spend time with you. And he's in you. What's he doing? He's, he's like, he's doing a work in you. Are you holding on to God? Or you think it's like part you, part Jesus? Or is it all of Jesus? Do you believe that our reservation in heaven is safe and secure? Or, or do you like, well, that's too good to be true. There's got to be some fine print. Maybe I missed the date. I don't know. Maybe my credit card expired or was denied. I don't know. Something's up with that. Maybe you did it online and you're like, I, this just, I don't, this is an insecure site or unsecure site. <laughs> I'm an insecure website. I didn't mean it like that. I meant unsecure. Do we live like we believe it? I think that's kind of, that's probably more of the practical takeaway leaving church today. Look, easier said than done. Yeah, Pastor Neil, I, I've, I've been born again. I know, I know about the whole incorruptible seed, and I know about the holy of holies and that I'm the temple. I know all of my sins, past, present, and future. I know Jesus lives in me. But okay. But do we live like we actually believe it? Not like we know it intellectually, like that's old news, because you've heard it often. But does it change the way we approach life? And if so... Do we invite others because there's plenty of room at the wedding feast? Remember, remember Jesus says, go out into the highways and the byways. Remember they came back. They don't want to come. They have excuses. And Jesus says, there's plenty of room. Go out and, and compel them uh, to come in. So let's, let's go be the church. I'm going to ask that we'd stand and I will close this in a word of prayer, and then we will sing a song uh, in dismissal. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you, and they've never been born again, that they would just, as the wind just blows where it will, that they would receive this invitation, this free gift offer from you to them. And for those of us that have received you, but maybe, Lord, we've gone through some things in life that caused us to doubt, um, I, I pray, Lord, that you would lovingly reveal yourself to them and you say that you're the God of all comfort. Would you comfort these people that maybe doubt their reservation in heaven and, and help them to understand that you, you will keep them by your power? And Lord, for those of us that maybe don't know about our inheritance, uh, maybe we approach the Bible with like... Uh, like excited anticipation of all these things that you've promised to us just simply because we got birthed into the family and we don't, we don't deserve any of it, Lord, but thank you that you give it to us out of your love. So I thank you for this wonderful church, this body of believers, the music, 
all the ministries here with the youth, the missions, uh, Sunday school. Uh, Lord, may we have a, a great impactful influence in our area for Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.